Well, hey, as you're finding your seat, go ahead and uh, find your Bible as well. We are going to turn our attention to God's Word as you're doing that. I'm just curious. I don't know uh, what it's like in your house. Um, in mine, we have uh, strict rules that we follow as to when Christmas decorations are allowed to come out. And uh, that is certainly not um, before uh, Thanksgiving. And I know some of you are offenders because I've seen posts of uh, Christmas trees up in early November, even late October. Uh, some of you let them stay up probably far too long as well, though I have less, I have a little more grace for that, a little, little less um, uh, kind of uh, precision on that. But, but in our house growing up, my, my, my way was always we do not until after Thanksgiving. There's no Christmas songs, no Christmas tree, no Christmas decorations. None of that happens until after Thanksgiving. It's got to have its time. It's got to have uh, you know, a day to breathe and, and sort of do, do, you know, to be able to celebrate and, and all of that. And so uh, you noticed as you walked in, if you're here in the uh, building uh, today, that, that uh, we are here for Advent. And uh, we've come to kind of adopt as a church uh, this, um, this sort of rhythm uh, that's been part of the church for uh, centuries, which is that it's called Advent. If you haven't been with us before around this time or, um, or, or uh, maybe have never been around a church that, that celebrated Advent, uh, Advent is just a word that means arrival uh, or coming. And it's uh, kind of a spirit of a time of uh, preparation, uh, preparing our hearts for uh, remembering, celebrating, thinking about um, all that, that Christ the Messiah brought when he came the first time and all that he's going to uh, bring and restore when he comes again uh, the second time. Uh, we believe this, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that he has already come, uh, but he is going to return again in glory. And so we anxiously wait for, long for, look for that day. And Advent is a time that we use uh, to center our hearts and, and to uh, draw our attention toward the reality of what the coming Christ, uh, His second coming, means for us uh, today. And so the four weeks leading up to Advent, we uh, sort of take each week and, and look at a different theme of, 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 of Christ's coming. And so this morning, we're talking um, about hope. And uh, the whole series is, is, uh, is, I trust and, and pray, going to be a hope-filled series for us. We're calling our series this year in Advent, um, uh, uh, The Weary World Rejoices. You know, we have, we are living in a weary world right now. And uh, Scripture is full of examples and times and seasons and um, uh, generations that lived in periods and, 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 and seasons of weariness. And uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning um, is one of, uh, gives us a picture of, of, of that. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58, and uh, we're calling uh, the, the sermon this morning, Hope for the Weary. Hope for the weary. And we're going to see a picture of the nation of Israel um, longing for, looking for, waiting for hope from their God. As you're turning there, just to kind of set the uh, scene for us, the book of Isaiah is um, a prophetic book. It, it, it speaks to the people, uh, kind of brings God's words to bear to God's people, but it also contains uh, some foretelling of what was going to come, right? So we see this throughout the book of Isaiah, uh, but the setting for it is um, sort of pre-exile and sort of during exile uh, times. 
Um, the people of God, uh, just to, to, to remind us, were called out um, by God, uh, and, and the promise was given to uh, one of their forefathers, Abraham. And so Abraham receives this promise that, that God is going to make him into a great nation, uh, that he's going to uh, lead them to a special place, a land, and he's going to bless the world through, uh, through the people of God. And that promise is repeated to his child, um, to his uh, grandchild, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And so this, this promise was, was given to God's people. They were called uh, God's chosen ones. And they, they lived their lives according to his plan for them. They, they, they followed his commands and his, uh, his uh, leading and his promises. And he had led them to this land, the land of Israel, and given this land to them. And he had established for them a, a system, a, a set of ways that they could worship and to uh, respond to him. And, and all of that was put in place, we know now, to look forward to what he was ultimately going to fulfill in the coming Messiah, in, in his Savior, uh, Jesus, his Son. But at this time, where we find it now is uh, centuries had passed, generations had passed since that promise was first given to God's people, and the people were growing weary and waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And so you see, when the nation was established, they looked around, they're like, man, everyone else has a king. God, why don't we have a king? And so they chose for themselves uh, Saul, and uh, Saul wasn't the greatest king. Uh, after Saul came David, who the, we know now as um, a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, David was actually a, a pretty good king. He made some mistakes. Uh, he was uh, sinful, uh, certainly, um, but he uh, repented and responded in, in the midst of his sin, and God uh, blessed the nation through David and, and during David's reign, and David is actually a great picture of the truer and better king that is found in Jesus, right? So we see this picture, but after, after David, things started to kind of go downhill for the nation, uh, his son Solomon uh, brought in and married many foreign wives, and so these, uh, they brought with them their gods, and so these temples and different uh, idol worship was established throughout the nation. And then uh, after that, the generations, there was even a divide among the nation, um, and so you have uh, sort of two separate, um, uh, you have the, the Judah in the, in the south, and then you have um, Israel in the north, and, then, and, and they're all kind of doing their own thing, many of whom are these kings and, and the leaders are not responsible responding to God's uh, his commands, his decrees for his people. And so what we find, where we pick up in Isaiah, is uh, he's writing specifically to the people of Judah, and he's calling them to repent. He's calling out the sin and the, the mistakes and the, um, the, uh, the, 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 their wrong thinking, their wrong actions, and, and there are some pretty pointed passages. This morning is one of those. He's writing again to a people that are waiting for this Messiah but are growing weary in their waiting. And some of the weariness that we find is uh, the result of just the circumstances, right? God's timing. Um, it didn't happen when they maybe expected it would and it had taken a lot longer to come. But some of the weariness comes from some of the mistakes that they made, right? Some of the actions and the things that they've chosen has, has actually brought strife upon the nation, has led to um, disunity and and. and and, uh, and, and this, this kind of foreign uh, worship, right, and, and idol worship and all these things, they're, they're distracted. They're not uh, worshiping God as he would be worshiped, and they don't understand why. And so Isaiah is writing to the people to call them to repentance, to call them to change, to call them to action. 
So that kind of sets the stage for us. Let's read in uh, chapter 58 of Isaiah, verse 1. It says this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteous, righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask, me, uh, they ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. See, here's, uh, here's where we find them, is in this place. They're, 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 they're kind of confused because um, they don't feel like God is as present and as near to them and working as he once did. And they're sort of confused as to why that's happening. Uh, notice what it says. It says, they seek me daily, they delight to know my name, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. So they're going off, doing all these things that God has specifically said don't do. They're failing to do all these things that God has said to do. And then they're coming to God and they're like, hey, why isn't this working? Why are we not seeing and sensing and feeling and experiencing your power and your presence here? Right? And they, they're asking of God's righteous judgments. They, do, they want to draw near, but they're uh, not doing it in the way that he has decreed and said for them to do it. In uh, verse 3, it says, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no advantage of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. And here's where we begin. And if we're going to look at hope for the weary, we have to look at the weary people. And this gives us a picture of brokenness among the people of God. The first thing that we see here is this picture of brokenness, right? The system and the blessing and the rhythms and these, uh, these graces that God has given to his people are being twisted and manipulated and used improperly. Fasting was one of them. That's what Isaiah specifically is zeroing in on. You see it, he's kind of quoting the people. The people are saying, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no advantage of it? They're like, God, we're doing the fasting in the way that you have decreed. Right? God had set for his people uh, the, uh, some, some corporate and kind of regular fasts. And if we, we know what fasts are, if we don't, it's, it's abstaining uh, from oftentimes it's food, uh, sometimes drink, but you can't do that for very long. But it was usually food uh, for a set period of time uh, for the purpose of being uh, drawn toward the Lord, uh, to uh, fill that time with uh, prayer, uh, to uh, allow that hunger and kind of the physical longing for um, nourishment and for uh, food sustaining ability, right, to, to then draw our attention toward God and this reminder that I need God and the way that I need, my body needs food, my soul needs the Lord. And, and this was this, this fast that they had put together, but here's the problem. They were fasting, they were still going through the motions, but they were doing it in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons, that's what he is pointing out. He's like, you, you say that we're fasting and, and you don't see me hearing or responding to it. It's because you're doing it in all the wrong ways. Here's what's going on. It says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. So somehow the people that are fasting, it's a day of sort of rest and rejuvenation and, and, and recuperation for them but they have some workers in the fields or some other people, some, uh, those that, that work for them that they're actually like, expecting more of. So it's like, hey, I'm going to go sit on the couch. I'm fasting, 
but you need to work harder. I need more output, more time, more from you. So they're actually oppressing the people that are working for them. Not only that, but the fasting is leading to more and more quarreling and fighting among them. Uh, this is a biblical picture of, of being hangry is what's going on there, okay? They're hangry. If you've ever fasted, just be ready for it. We should fast. It's actually still a great thing for followers of Jesus to do today. It is good to, once in a while, abstain from food for the purpose of prayer and seeking after the Lord. We see pictures of it throughout Scripture. So this is still a great thing to do. But just know that you're going to probably get a little irritable, a little hangry. And that's what's happening. They're, they're fasting, and then they're like fighting. They're, they're quarreling. They're fighting. They're hitting with a wicked fist. See, I get this. Uh, I, I learned this about myself. I've, I've since actually, I've, I'm pretty good at, at going. I can, I can go uh, for a while without eating, but I used to not always be uh, that case. Um, that was not always the case. In, in college, um, when I was dating Bree, um, we were... Um, we would go and uh, kind of hang out at night and, and uh, you know, go to a coffee shop, study together, something like that. We, our schedule's kind of you know, different, different directions all day, and so oftentimes we'd see each other at the end of the day and kind of had a full day, and, and we'd get together, and pretty soon we'd start kind of nipping at each other or sort of fighting about something, and it was something kind of dumb or, or whatever. And uh, oftentimes she'd be like, wait, why are we fighting about this? I'm like, I don't know, because it matters. It's, it's, it's important. Like, we need to like, figure this out, right? And she's like, no, no, no. This is stupid. Like, why are we fighting about it? Have you eaten today? And I would, like, think back, and I'm like, hmm. No, I don't think I actually had time to eat today. She's like, okay, well, there's Subway next door. Why don't we go next door? Let's get you some food, and then we'll see if this is still important. And so many times, it was not. I had food in me, and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. You know, I felt like I was, like, living a Snickers commercial, right? It just kind of, like, a, this, like, angry self just sort of melted away. I get some food in there, and I'm, I'm fine, Right? Well, this is like, God's, God is like, listen, you are uh, taking advantage of the time. You're using it as an excuse to sit back. You're, you're, you're asking more of those who labor for you, and you're fighting. He's like, you're doing this in all the wrong ways. So when you come to me and you're like, hey, God, we're fasting. Why are you not responding to our, our prayers? Why are you not closer? Why do we not see and sense and feel your presence? We're doing all the things that you've asked us to do. He's like, I didn't ask you to do that. That's not what I said. I didn't say to do that. That's why he says, he says, um, he says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head like a reed or to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? He's like, you're going through all the motions, right? You're, you have the day, you're humbling yourself, you're, you're kind of nodding your head, but that's actually a bit of a knock when he says it that way, right? It says, is it for me to bow his head like a reed? What does a reed do in the wind? It just sort of like bobbles. What good does that reed bobbling in the wind do? Nothing, right? It produces nothing. He's like, your bobbing, your kind of bowing your head is not producing anything. You're spreading the cloth and ashes. And he says, will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? What's the problem, right? They're doing the things that God said to do. Didn't he say to fast? Why are they not doing this? See, this is the picture of brokenness among God's people. They're missing the point of what the fast was to do. The fast was to draw them closer to the Father. The fast was to remind them of their need for Him. The fast was to help them better reflect His heart among the nations, among the people. And what they were finding themselves doing is fasting without the Father. They found themselves in a place of religion, Without relationship, they found themselves in ceremonial hunger 
without a compassion for the hungry. See what it says in verse 6. It says, Is this not the fast that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and to hide, from, uh, hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, and you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall call, and he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke among your midst, pointing the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, this is, this is where they are missing it. You see, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the nation of Israel, the God of creation, the God of the Bible, has never been about religious motions that we go through. Okay, he is not, he is not impressed with our consistency in showing up at the church building He's not impressed with the programs that we put on or the motions that we do or the number of times that we open up our Bible or bow our knees or do any of this, the, the, stuff, the rhythms and, and kind of the, the, the practices of, of this are not what impresses God. This doesn't get his attention. So I think we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap that God's people were here. They thought that just, hey, we're fasting. This is going to do it. And he's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's like, this is not the fast I chose. The fast I chose is that you would reflect my heart among the nations to the people, that you would take care of those that are in need, that you would feed the hungry, that you would care for the poor, that, you would, uh, that, that, that there would be um, my love poured out among each other, among the nation. What are you doing? They're missing it. You see, he, wanted, he was not after their religious motions. He was after their heart. And the same is true of God with us today. He's not after our religious fervor. He's after our heart. He wants us to know his heart and then share that heart with the people that he created looks around, he sees the, the destruction, he sees the brokenness, he sees all the need around, and he's like, you are clearly missing the point. He's like, you're hypocrites. And one of the things that I've, I've always been super careful about, and I've kind of shared this before, so I apologize for repeating myself, but we, we try in our house not to make our kids say uh, the words that they're sorry unless they uh, mean it. We, we encourage them to. We kind of set them up for it, right? But if you've maybe been made to say you were sorry when you were little, I know I did. There was a couple times. I mean, there's no knock on my parents, but they're like, hey, you know, you hit your brother, tell him you're sorry. I'm like, sorry, you know? Like, uh, are you? You know, is that, is that really? Like, I know you said the word sorry, but I'm not sure that you really, <laughs> that you feel uh, remorseful or repentant over what you did, that you're acknowledging what you do. And so a lot of times what we'll tell with our kids is like, hey, are you sorry? Like, do you see that you did this wrong? Yeah. Well, can you tell your sister that, that, <laughs> that that's the case? Okay, you know, because here's the thing. The last thing I want to do is, is, is kind of force my children 
to go through the motions of saying something if they don't feel it, if their heart isn't reflective of that. Like that's not actually a good thing to do. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to not create this understanding that, yeah, if you kind of like feign uh, remorsefulness, feign repentance, like that's, that's what the Bible calls that something, that's worldly sorrow, not godly grief, right? So we want to lead our kids, we want to be in this place together. This isn't just for children, this is for us. We don't just want to have worldly sorrow, like, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that this created like problems. Rather, I, 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 I'm sorry that I grieve the heart of God, right? That this has brought uh, a division in that relationship, that this is this has affected things. This has affected people. And so we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that same place. And so I think what we have to understand from this is we read a passage like this, and all of a sudden, like I think we bring and we import our current Western kind of American understanding in this uh, political and social kind of climate that we read. And we read all this, and we're like, wait a second, what is this? Is this political? Like, is this what we're talking about here? Feeding the hungry, like taking care of the poor? Like, is this, is this a political thing? And listen, this predates anything that this country has, okay? This has nothing to do with the current political climate. This is what the people of God are called to be about. We are about other people. We are about God's created beings. Why? Because he has put his, uh, his mark upon them. They are, um, they are made in his image, Right? They, every person on this planet is an image bearer of the God on high. And he cares deeply about each and every person. And he's called us to do the same. And so he's calling out the hypocrisy, the brokenness. This picture of brokenness that we see is religious motion, religious action without a heart that's being drawn close and, and affected by the love of the Father. That's what's happening here. He's like, it's just not going to work. This is one of the issues, one of the problems that the nation, the people of God, have gotten themselves into. And so today, we are still about people. We care for people. James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. We should want to know the rest of that verse, right? What is the religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father? It's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. They have abandoned their first love. They have walked away from the love of the Father. They are not living this out, and so we find them in this place of brokenness. And here's the thing, you might be in a place of brokenness this morning, you might be, your, your life, your, your situation, your current circumstances might be a picture of brokenness. And let's just be clear about it. Brokenness comes from two places. It comes from, sometimes, the actions that we choose, the decisions that we make. The brokenness that we see here was the continual effort of God's people to walk away from his decrees and from his promises. And so they're in this place of brokenness because they chose to walk away from the Lord, right? And to do things their own way. They adopted all of this foreign worship. They adopted all of these idle practices. They, they were not responding and reflecting the heart of God here. And so it had led to brokenness among the nation. So sometimes we find ourselves in a place of brokenness because 
we walked away from the way of the Lord. It's called sin. We find ourselves in this place of brokenness because of our own choosing and our own doing. But let's also be clear that sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves in a place of brokenness, not because we did anything wrong, but because we live in a place that is marred by sin. Like sometimes you might do everything right. You follow all the rules, right? You dot all the I's, you cross all the T's, you do everything that you're supposed to do, and you're like, why am I in this place of brokenness? And let's just be clear about it. We live in a world that is marred by sin. This is not our home. This place is not this current situation and kind of the place we find ourselves. It is not eternal. This is temporary. And that is why Christ came to redeem and to restore and to make new. And so sometimes the brokenness that we find ourselves in is, a play, is because of this broken world that we live in. I think some of that was also true for the people. It took, it was taking longer than I think they expected. They were waiting for centuries, and so they found themselves growing weary of waiting. It's not necessarily, <laughs> it's not a bad thing, not a wrong thing. It's just like it was different than what they expected. And so they're like, we're tired of waiting. They didn't do anything to make God take his time more. He just had a different timetable than they did. And so this is where they are. This is the picture of brokenness. But here in the midst of this, we see this beautiful, beautiful picture of hope. We see this beautiful picture of hope, and it, it kind of, it takes a little turn here. Let's continue on. Look at the second part of verse 10. Let's get a running start at it. Let's look at the first part. It says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like springs of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Here we see not just a picture of brokenness, but here we see it turns to a picture of hope. And I think there's sort of four elements, four parts of this picture of hope that I want us to see and make sure that we don't miss. There's probably more that we could look at here, but I just want to look at four. The first is this. We see that there is light in the darkness. This picture of hope from God is light in the darkness. Notice the second half of verse 10. It says, Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. Here, specifically, and many times throughout Scripture, darkness is often a picture for the complexity and the confusion of our life. Would you describe your current days as dark? Or let me ask it this way. Does it feel right now like trouble, difficulty, despair is pressing in around you? Or maybe, maybe you would say that you are confused as to what the next step is. You're on the path and you're trying to figure out, well, what's the next step that I take? I'm confused right now. I don't know. Here's the amazing truth of Scripture is that when you need your path illuminated, when you need light in the darkness, God is there to give it. He is offering, he's saying that he will provide light in the darkness. Your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom shall be as the noon day. When you need it, God is there to give it. Let me illustrate it this way. I believe uh, firmly this is a, a kind of 
strong belief for that I have that there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, there are those that let their gas tanks run down all the way to empty, and there are those that make needless trips to the gas station, right? Which one are you? Do you, do you let it run down? Are you very comfortable with that arrow pointing at, at the E? Or when it gets like about halfway, you're like, ooh, ooh we got to find a, find a gas station. Don't want cut it, to cut it close. I think there are two different types. I, uh, if I didn't give it away already, am very comfortable with that E. Like that E and me, are, we are, I'm fine with that. Like that doesn't bother me. I feel very comfortable going and kind of knowing. And um, I claim... Um, that I've never really run out of gas. Now, my dad and I have a bit of a um, disagreement about this uh, because one time uh, we were driving together and um, I was on empty and, and um, you know, cutting it close as usual. Um, and uh, I feel like the car is like lighter, you know, it's more agile. I don't, I'm not weighed down by all that extra gas, you know. So, um, so we, were, we, were, we were pushing it on E and he was, he was giving me a hard time. He's like, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And I'm like, no, no, there's a gas station right up here. I've got plenty of time. It's going to be fine. And then not really thinking about it, we kind of turned the corner and I had to go up a hill. And I was like, oh, that's not going to help me. <laughs> I, need, I need everything. I need, like, I need that gas going forward. And, uh, I, 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 and so we, we made it up the hill. We kind of turned the corner. And uh, just as we started to kind of pull into the gas station parking lot, the car, uh, it, it stopped running. I think the reason is because it ran out of gas. But here's the thing is we were right there. We were at the gas station. And so, uh, admittedly, we did have to get out of the car and kind of push it the last 15 feet, right? We put the car in neutral. And my dad was giving me a hard time. He's like, see, you ran out of gas. And I'm like, did I, though? Because here's the thing. I ran out of gas at a gas station. That seems like a fantastic place to run out of gas, right? If you're going to run out of gas, what a, what's a better place to do it? I, I'm maximizing the amount of gas that we are putting in this car right now. And uh, I, I do not have to make an extra trip. I just saved myself some time uh, down the road. I feel like collectively, over the course of my life, the number of hours that I'm going to save by making, not making unnecessary trips to the gas station is, is, is going to be, it's gonna, I'm going to put that to good use somehow, all right? I'm going to figure out how I'm going to use it. But I always push it uh, just a bit. Here's my point with that and why I bring that up now. Is running out of gas at a gas station is a pretty good place to be, right? I needed gas. And it was right there. And again, my dad gave me a, the hardest time. And I'm like, well, like, it's like going to a restaurant hungry, right? It's like a good place to be hungry. You can get some food. Like that's, that's, that's why we're here. We're here for gas. Here's the thing. If you find yourself in darkness, God's light is available to you when you need it. You're like, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what's next. I feel the trouble. I feel the difficulty. I feel despair pressing in. I, want, I have good news for you. That your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom shall be as the noonday. If you turn to the Lord, look to the Lord. Allow him to shine his light upon you. Right? He is the light of the world. He is our light in the darkness. He brings clarity to the confusion. He gives direction when we don't know what next step to take. It's available to us. And so if you feel like you're in the darkness, like you need it, good news for you. You're, you, you're at a place where there is source of light. <laughs> you're sitting among God's people. You're hearing God's word preached. You have the opportunity to respond to him and to receive Receive the light that he would give to you to the darkness of your days. There's good news here. This is the picture of hope for God's people. He offers light to his people. 
that's not all. Look what it says next. It says in verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. This is a picture of hope where we find satisfaction in the longing. Satisfaction in the longing. Right? This picture of guidance and direction that we just looked at, the light. The Lord will guide you continually, but he will also satisfy your desire. But here's something we have to understand about this satisfaction is it comes in the midst of difficulty and longing. That word picture is pretty strong there in scorched places. I don't know how you would describe, again, your current circumstances or current situation. Maybe some of you would say, man, it feels like I'm living in, I'm walking in, I'm standing in a scorched place right now, right? It's desolate, it's barren, it's been burned up, there's nothing around, what am I to do? Notice, notice the picture of hope that God's word has for us. There is satisfaction of your desire in the midst of the scorched places. Let's be honest, so many times our prayer to the Lord, when we find ourselves in a place that we would describe as scorched, would be, God, take me from this place. Will you remove this circumstance from my life? Will you take this thorn from my flesh? Will you, uh, will you change this place that I am in? And oftentimes the response from the Lord comes, no, I'm not going to take you from it, but I'm going to give you what you need to sustain you through it. See, God offers the strength that we need to walk through the midst of it. And that satisfaction for the desire, the satisfaction and the longing doesn't come at the end of it, when we're out of it. It comes in the midst of where we are currently. And so you can get the satisfaction for your longing right here in the midst of the difficulty. How? Why? I think it comes to that second part there. It says, he will make your bones strong. This is picture of strengthening your frame, like giving strength to, your, to stand, to walk, to keep going. He's giving you that which you need. And so many times, right, we want the circumstances removed, but he can provide the blessing right in it. Where do we find the satisfaction that we long for? Where do we find that? Where does that come from? Let's be super clear about it. It comes directly from him. It comes from a relationship, it comes from time, it comes from um, uh, communication, from intimacy, from, from, from being with the Lord, being vulnerable, being honest, being transparent, hearing from the Lord, speaking with the Lord, spending time with him, getting to know him. Like our God is a personal God and that is where the longing for our desire comes from. So even in the midst, it doesn't matter what situation, I'm not downplaying the thing that you're in. Okay? Don't hear me say that. I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter the spot that you're in. I'm just saying that God can meet you right there. He doesn't have to remove it for him to give you the blessing that he has for you in the midst of it. He can make your bones strong. He can give you the strength to take the next step. He can provide what you need. He gives satisfaction in the longing. More than that, let's keep going. Let's see this next picture. I love it. It's, 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 it's this picture of this watered garden. It says, you shall be like a watered garden, like springs of water whose waters do not fail. This is water in the desert. Man, I sure hope that Israel opens up their borders again and there's an opportunity to travel again because I would love to take our church. Any of you that would love to do it, I've been to 
uh, Israel before, and it is a dry place. There is not a lot. Like, you get the understanding. There's so many, like, pictures and illustrations of, of um, uh, water, right, and, and, and the, the vitality and the life that, that water brings uh, amongst uh, the, the dryness in the desert. When you understand and you see the, the difference of, of kind of the desolate place with water, or some of you have traveled to and you've seen the desert, you understand that without water, uh, nothing can grow. Like life is not sustained there. And so there's this picture of this, this watered garden, right? The plants are planted and they have plenty of water. And so it's growing, it's green, it's luscious. It's, there's, there's vitality there amongst the garden and there's waters that do not fail. They never run out. It's these springs of water. And I love this, this, this picture of the life that comes through that. This water is delivered, it's brought, it's, it's given and exactly when, when it's needed. And God's thought through that. He knows what we need and he's, he's bringing it and giving it to us. He's sustaining our frame in that. You know, um, over the last couple years, I'm so glad to finally see these orange barrels coming down off of uh, Fish Hatchery Road, right? Some of you that live near this, you know, like we have been, uh, like it's been construction for uh, years now. And uh, uh, we, we actually live a little further down McKee. And so um, my, my morning uh, drive has involved like Verona Road, uh, McKee, and Fish Hatchery. And so if you've driven on any of those, you know that there's just like orange barrels everywhere. There have been for years. And so I'm like, pretty much since we moved here, I feel like I just drive through giant construction sites every day to, uh, to get to uh, wherever I'm going, um, but certainly to get here. And so every single day I'm in the car, I'm making, and it's about the same time every day. And here's what I noticed is that um, the city did a pretty good job. Those medians, right, they filled them with plants. And I didn't even think about this. But the thing about plants, and this is why uh, we don't have a lot of plants in our house, um, because plants need water, right? So they put all these plants in the median, and then I noticed shortly after the plants went in, there was these two, uh, two gals that were out there with this giant like, tanker truck of water, and they were just watering the, the, the plants every single day. And those plants like, sprouted out. They looked great. Like they, they, they were coming, they, 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 they grew up great. But I'm like, man, somebody had to think about that. Like that truck gets filled up every single day and, and these girls get in there. It's the same two girls. Every, every day I, was, I saw them because I would pass them about the same place and I'm like, oh man. And I, I would know if I was running behind or maybe they're running behind because it was like, you know, where, where they're kind of at. But here's the thing is the water was being delivered and given and those plants, they sprouted up and they grew. And that is not always the case. If any of you have uh, tried to plant some grass or plant a garden or, or kind of have experienced this, if, the, if it doesn't get the water, it doesn't grow. But with the water, it does. It sustains. It grows. This is the picture that God has for us, the hope that he would have for us is water in the desert. See, he is the living water, right? He is the sustainer of our soul. And so if you are feeling, again, parched, dehydrated, like you're barely making it, you need some more, would you turn to the Lord and would he fill you with the waters that do not fail, the waters that do not end, the waters that bring life to your soul? This is the picture that we have of the hope in the darkness is water in the desert. And then we see this picture of restoration in the destruction. Verse 12, he concludes here. He says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, 
And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. See, this is, I think, a looking forward to of the physical rebuilding of the nation and certainly the city of Jerusalem, right? The physical city was rebuilt by God's people. The temple was rebuilt. The houses were rebuilt. The city was rebuilt. So there's some physical rebuilding happening. But I think more than that is going on here. I think this is actually, in light of all these other pictures that we have of hope, I think this is a a spiritual rebuilding, right? Because the people had become a shell of what they were supposed to be, a shell of what they once were. And so now you have these people that are, again, going through these religious motions and, and God, God is, is not responding to them and they are, they are finding themselves in this difficult place and, and the nations are crowding in around them. They're, they're under attack they're, they're, and, and, and God is, is withdrawn some of his blessing from them. He still loves them. He's still present for them, but they can't do whatever they want and re- expect to receive all the blessing that he has for them. He's like, no, it goes well for you when you go my way. I am the Lord God. I am the king. I am your king. And so when you follow my decrees, it's going to go better for you. And so what's happened now is there is now ruin that is coming and is going to come. And he says this, let your ancient ruins be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the sheets. He wants to rebuild that which is broken. And some of us, we can relate. We feel like our soul, our life, has been broken down, that there's ruins around. But I tell you, the God is in the business of rebuilding that which is broken down. He can redeem that which is broken. He can bring life to that which is dead. He is restoring. This is the promise that we see throughout Isaiah, is that he's going to send his son. He's going to send that perfect lamb to be crushed for the iniquities of the people. Right, That he was going to be pierced for the transgressions. He was going to be crushed for the iniquities. By his wounds are the people going to be healed. By his wounds are, these, are, the, are the souls of God's children going to be restored. And so he's going to bring restoration in the destruction. Not only that, but notice there's provision for security in the future. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations He's like, this family tree can be changed. This can be altered. And I love, I love hearing stories of generational following of Jesus, right? Where where your parents follow the Lord and you follow the Lord, your grandparents follow the Lord, and this has been passed on to generations and you're standing upon this foundation. I love hearing stories about that. But you know what I love just as much, if not even more than that, is when you hear that like no one in my family, no one believed and God saved me and he changed me and he brought me to this place and now, and now like I'm married to someone who loves the Lord and my children are walking with the Lord and then their children, like I've seen family trees be completely altered and changed. Like God has the ability to, to restore the generations, to rebuild that which is broken, to change it for security for the future. I mean, it is amazing what the Lord can do. And he's saying, listen, there is hope. Like the nation is not lost. These things are not gone. And I think this is the message of hope that we need today. We need this because we are weary. The season and the years and the time that we have been living through has pressed in upon us. I, uh, I read this article. I was here, heard this pastor kind of talking about some of the wave of, um, the wave of uh, specifically talking about pastors 
Following 9-11, two years after, there was this wave of pastors that ended up like stepping away from ministry. They were just toast. They were burned out. And this pastor was kind of applying it to this current time that we're in. And he's like, listen, I think there's a wave of pastors that are going to um, be just burned out from walking through this season that we're in. Barna had a recent um, poll that came out and said 38% of pastors have, have thought about resigning in the last uh, year and a half. And this is, I'm not announcing anything. I'm not thinking about resigning. I'm, I'm, I'm still, still here. But here's the thing. I, I use that as like that. When I read that, I was like, man, I need to be refreshed and restored. Like th- this, this has been a season that's been trying. And it's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. We've all walked through a lot in the last year and a half. I don't even think we understand all the ways that just the climate and everything, I'm not just talking about the pandemic, I'm just talking about like the world right now is weary. It's weary. It's in need of a Messiah. It's in need of a Savior. But here's the good news of the gospel. The Messiah has come and he's coming again. This is where our hope is found man, I turned my phone off for a few days over, over Thanksgiving, wasn't checking any news or anything, and I turned it back on. I was like, what is going on? Omicron, is that, is that what we're all worried about now? Is that, is that the, new, the new thing that's happening? I mean, like, I'm just like, man, like, I just, I, like, it just blew up, and I was like, what? I, I, we were just kind of doing our thing, and everything was, I'm like, I just want to shut that back down and just kind of put that aside, and, and, uh, and, and we're just going to forget about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like, just go check it out. You can, you'll see that there is, uh, there is more cause for concern, right? But here's the thing. I don't think that's going away, right? That's going to continue to happen. We need hope in these trying times. The hope that we find, this picture of hope that we find, hope for the weary is found in the Savior who has come. We are living in that already, not yet. God's kingdom is being built here and now. He's establishing it. He is using his people. He is working through his church. And someday when he comes, when he returns in glory, he's going to restore all that is broken fully. It's all going to be responded. So as we respond to him, would it strengthen us, church? Would it give us hope that we need in these trying times? If you feel beat down, broken, in despair, turn to the Lord. Respond to him. Not in the way that you would maybe want to or desire not in like kind of these religious motions, but respond to him, walk with him. Run to the Lord and he will fill that empty cup. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your provision of grace, for life, God, for strength to sustain. Lord, you are present and working. God, you are near and powerful. God, I thank you for the hope that we find in you and in you alone. God, I pray that you would assure us. God, remind us of your power and presence. So many times, God, we, we, we look in different directions to different things, and God, we have but to respond to you to the decrees which you have sent, God, to the calling which you have given to us. And Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to respond to you. And so God, this Advent season, God, in the same way that your people waited with longing, with desire for the Messiah to come, God, we with the same longing and desire await your return in glory. God, we look forward, we long for that day And we know when you will restore that fully, which is broken. God, we will see you clearly and understand just how great you are. 
God, we give you praise for who you are. We thank you for your sustaining grace. In your son's name, amen.